Content marketing. Cloud computing. Social media reality. Creative competitive advantage. Future of innovation. Benchmark. It's two blokes talking all things creative, technology and business in Australia. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is Nick and Andrew. We're giving you the Benchmark podcast. Hello. Hey, Nick. How are you? I'm doing all right. And hello to everybody out there. Nice to be speaking to you today. Been a big week. Massive week, hasn't it? Really crazy. And uh, very excited to be uh, giving a uh, podcast talk today. We've got a couple of interesting segments. Tell us about your Apple Watch segment. Well, uh, look, what I want to talk about is, um, you know, we see wearables coming on all over the place. And obviously the the Apple Watch is um, becoming prolific. I've got feel this pressure that I have to wear one, mate, because (laughs) we're in this space. And I'm like, I see all of these other marketing technologists wearing one. I feel like maybe it's slipping me by. Am I not relevant? <laughs> You've got fear of missing out. I have you? got fear of missing Fobo. out. Well, we're going to explore wearable devices later. That should be cool. And also we're going to have a, a look at uh, the, the customer experience and, and customer call centres. We've, we've had a few interesting experiences this week that haven't been quite what we'd have liked. So no, we'll, we'll talk about them a bit more. Indeed. Uh, and the main segment today is uh, our guest from our benchmark event a few weeks ago, the uh, the wonderful uh, Alexandra Chelios from the Big Smoke. What did you make of her, mate? What a what a wonderful speaker to have in our first benchmark. I mean, that was just unbelievable, and she just had everybody right in the palm of her hands. I, I, she's such a compelling person to listen to. It's why everybody loves her when they meet her. I mean, it's just and what an interesting thing she's doing. You know what I mean? Well, I was I was. Uh, interviewing her and you know I'd, after about half an hour I felt that I'd, I'd, I'd run out of questions and had that awful moment as an interviewer when you say any questions from the crowd and there's that tumbleweed mo- moment isn't there you know and it went on for about another half hour didn't it yeah I mean, it's not often that you're in a QA, and a you're at the back of the room going Nick it might be time to wind it up yeah. I think you know we'll be here all night otherwise exactly. so no great great format great fun and uh, obviously gave rise to uh, gave rise to this podcast as well which is terrific so beautiful let's get on with it you know what, Nick? When I was at high school, I think I was very much ahead of my time. <laughs> Shut up. No, well, I was. I'll tell you why. Because I had a Casio databank. Oh. Do you remember a Casio oh, yeah. databank with the little buttons on the front? You could store, I think you could store 50 phone numbers in them, which you couldn't ring because you had to find a phone box. But you, you had them in there. You could keep them on this Casio databank. So. I just remember trying, writing rude words with my uh, Calculator. Yeah, boobless. You would have done that. Hilarious. Yeah. Boobs. Boobs. Hours of fun. We should do that now. We should. Get a calculator. <laughs> Let's go. No, so um, I think I was, I was ahead of the game then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But right now, like I said, I feel like maybe I'm, I'm falling behind the times because right. I'm, I'm not wearing, a, uh, not wearing an, an Apple Watch. Yeah. So um, it gave rise to be thinking about something. I, I want to play you something. This is the interview that I did with Doug Gervin. Now, he's the CEO of uh, uh, Stantive Technologies and Orchestra uh-huh. CMS. Uh, about me noticing something when we were at Dreamforce uh, last year in San Francisco. So take a listen to this. Okay, have I got you on the call there, Doug? Yes, you do. How are you, Andrew? I'm excellent, mate. Thank you. Very well. Very well indeed. Look, I won't take up much of your time, but uh, I just thought for uh, for some of our listeners, I've got a... um, I've got a, a quick question that I want to ask you because I think if, if you remember last year when we were at Dreamforce, I was standing somewhere having a drink and uh, and I looked down and I noticed that there was Doug Gervin wearing an Apple Watch and I thought to myself, and take this as a compliment, I thought to myself, 
that I never expected Doug to wear a, wear an Apple Watch, and I thought, how did that come about? So, what did, did you buy? Did you buy it for yourself, or did you get that gifted to you? I did buy it for myself, and and uh, and you're right, Andrew. I've I've been uh, the proud wearer of an analog watch for many many years, and and but the, at the same time, you know, as somebody who has a has an eye on the technology roadmap for our own company. Um, I always like to try to get myself into whatever the latest technologies are, you know, and wearables obviously are, are emerging. So um, I, I bought the Apple Watch partly for an R&D project and, and partly to, to sort of feed my inner nerd. <laughs> we love the inner nerd. And, and so what, what happened when, when, you, when you got the watch, how, uh, how did your perception of it change? I mean, uh, I know from my point of view, I've, I've always thought I'd, I don't know if I'd use one. Do you find it something that you 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 actually use on a day to day basis? I, I do, and very sadly, my analog watch is gathering dust as a result of that. I, I, what I've done is I did a lot of experimentation with it in the beginning because everybody. I think the challenge for a lot of people is, and in the case of Apple users in particular, is you buy the watch and think it's sort of a small iPhone when in fact it's very very different. Um, and so I, I use it actually every day. It's on me all the time, and uh, and uh, I use it for everything from the things you hear about, like activity tracking, to you know, to calendaring, to te- do a lot of texting on it. And so it's it's really turned into a very indispensable device for me. It allows you to very quickly look at notifications, and you know, when you need to, without having to pull your phone out. And so it really has a lot of a myriad of uses for me across uh, across my day. That's really interesting to me. So do you feel like uh, I've always been worried that I, it means just another device that I'm going to have and I'm starting to get device overload, right? Is it, does it replace the yeah. device? Does it augment it? How, what, what's the experience? Augmentation is a great word. Um, so my experience has really been the augmentation piece of it. So as an example, you know, I've got my calendar on the watch base along with a few other things uh, like my activities. And it really the calendar is not your complete calendar. It's really what you have coming up next. So you've always got this window into there's immediacy to the watch that allows you to get that window into the into the future. The other thing the watch has done for me though too is you know we all travel a lot we use maps. Um, one of the things you discover when you have a watch or not a watch is that you don't actually need the map you really just need directions. So right. you can go take your phone out you can plot the the, the uh, course you need to take to get somewhere and then you put the the uh, phone away and it automatically transfer turn-by-turn or walking, you know, turn-by-turn walking or driving directions to the watch, which very handily taps you on the wrist whenever it's time to make that turn. So you really get into this whole notion now of all of a sudden I just really need to know the directions, and, and the watch is reminding me of when those directions are, are you know, salient to, to the course. So things like that where it really becomes an augmentation and a convenience factor. I'm not wandering around downtown Sydney with my, watch, you know, my, my phone hanging out. It's yeah. something that's just discreetly tapping me on the wrist at the time I need to make the turn. So that's, right. that's an example of it as well. But calendaring, that sort of thing, fast responses on text. You know, the audio is very, very good on it in terms of dictation, so I can respond to a text very, very quickly and, and keep moving. Do you, do, you, do you feel like you're more connected than you were before? If, if you're sitting at home watching television, do you find yourself playing on the watch instead of watching the TV? I don't know if you watch TV, Doug. I'm not sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch a lot of TV, but... No, what I don't do is I don't find myself playing with the watch because fundamentally it's a small screen, and if you're going to play with something, you know, a bigger screen is obviously a lot better to work on. But what I do find is that, you know, the, the notion of glances and things that I talk about with Apple, you know, they've done their usual um, great work in terms of interface design by not trying to replicate, you know, a large screen onto a smaller screen. So really the watch is something that you look at for very specific reasons, uh, but not something I would necessarily play with too much, and it certainly don't, don't do much with it. It's not very functional. Got it. 
And look, while, while I've got you on the phone, I can't help but ask. So, uh, what's what's sort of the, for standard technologies and orchestra CMS? Is is there a roadmap for for wearable devices for watches, for instance? It isn't so specific to the wearable, but what we mm-hmm. do see is anything where people are accessing information through applications on the web is a target for us with Orchestra CMS. And because we've got a very content-centric approach to the way we do things, it's certainly easy for us to take content and repurpose it on the fly to a small interface like the watch that you, through some kind of a news app or something like that um, versus you know a lot, an app on a larger format device. So certainly as we do these, all of these new IP addresses, if you will, that are coming out of the, the network present us with a new target. Um, for the, the, the we, and we certainly see the wearables market and the watch in particular is as an area where, where third parties will work with us to develop apps for that to consume content from our system. Nice, nice. Uh, look, well, look, thank you so much for your time. I've got to, I guess I've got to ask, can I have your old watch then if you're not using it? Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got, I got a few for posterity. It's sort of, you know, I'm, I'm a little older now, Andrew, so I, I look at it once in a while longingly, but then, you know, it doesn't track my activities. So what good is it, right? That's it. But no, you can't have my old watch. <laughs> we'll talk. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, thanks. I really appreciate it. So look forward to uh, catching up with your dream once again this year and uh, really appreciate your time. Oh, mine too. Thanks, Andrew. Always great to talk to you. Yeah, you know, I don't think he's going to give me his watch. What do you reckon? Uh, you've got no chance, mate. Fuck <laughs> quiz. Fuck quiz. Good, good effort. <laughs> I love the idea that it's sitting in a cupboard somewhere gathering dust and he brings it out every now and again. I'm going to show the kids, oh, look, this is my old analog watch. I've, I've got a lovely, beautiful old watch. I bring it out for weddings and, and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic, isn't it? Yeah. So, I, I mean, really interesting to see. And, you know, like I said, the idea that someone like him that I would never have expected to have been a... Uh, 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 Apple Watch or a wearable wearer, there he is doing this. So you you were one of the first people I knew that, that actually had a wearable device of, of any note because you got one of the first generation Pebbles, right? Yeah, I got that Christmas two and a half years ago. So it was the, it was the first iteration of the Pebble. Um, and I, I hardly wear it now. Is that right? That's because the battery lasts two or three days and then I'm always either got the the lead's quite unique right? right and I've only got one of them so it's either at the office or at home or in my bag and it's never where I want it right and then I just take it off because it's run out of juice yeah right, right. and then it just sits in a drawer for two weeks and I find the lead again and you know um but my experience of it was um I loved it how um I could tell who was ringing me if I'm looking at my watch I could or if a text came in I could read it in a meeting without um you know getting my phone out um same with Facebook and Twitter um, I had some of the fitness apps on it. But the other niggle with it was, and this is pure laziness on my behalf, is that if the app needed to be upgraded, as they often do, um, you had to sync it again, mm. and so the apps would stop working. Right. And so then over time, it just became a very nice-looking watch, yeah. which was totally fine, and I, I actually use it just as a nice-looking watch. Yeah, it's, yeah? Really, it's really interesting, isn't it? I, I, wear a, I wear this Fitbit. It's like the very first Fitbit that came out. My daughter's got one. She synced it with her iPhone, First time she got a phone call, up pops the person who's ringing in. She's like, oh, Dad, look at this. And it's like, that's just now expected. Yeah. That, that sort of level of uh, integration is going gonna, is gonna to happen and functionality. Mm. Um, you, the, the event that, that um, we did a couple of weeks ago where you had execs, right? Or yeah, well, I, I, I had to interview the CEOs. Uh, and, um, uh, and one of them commented that he was not a wearable device guy. Right. Right? They were all given an Android watch as they walked in. 
And um, but he said, you know, I've been really surprised at how well it works and what, what the UI is like. He goes, I, I worked my way around it very, very quickly with no real guidance. It was quite intuitive. So I, I, I think that um, you know my Pebble experience of two and a half years ago was the first iteration, and now they've come f- forward a lot more. Whereas you know um, other other things haven't. Google Glass, for example, you know. Yeah. Um, but the the, the, the watches. Apple and Google and Samsung are bringing out are now really quite advanced and got some really good practical applications. Yeah, I I'm, think it's going to be fascinating. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're speaking with uh, Will Scully Power around uh, Vision Board Virtual Reality, the, the company that he's got, and the, the the even further tighter integration between wearable devices and 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 the Google Glass style of virtual reality and and augmented reality, uh, and how that relates to marketing. Oh wow. But, yeah, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. But how many devices does one person need? Well, right. So that, and we I sort of hinted at that with, with Doug. I mean, uh, once you've got the watch and the phone and the, and the other device, you know, how many events do you go to now where they, they do that old thing where they say, put your hand up if you've got one device, but put your hand down if you've got less than this many. And you, you've left with yeah. a whole bunch of people with like five devices on them. I mean, at what point does that get ridiculous? I mean, like, we just get insurance for our bags soon, I think, you know, because I've got a laptop, an iPad, a phone, a watch. <laughs> exactly. So, at what point does it does it come back into this idea of one homogenous device that does everything? Mm. Yeah. Well, there's a few companies vying for that space, aren't they? Yeah, you know, no the doubt. Apple, Googles, and Samsungs are really trying to trying to win that. You know, and uh, uh, it, look, it's a, it's a we could watch this space. Oh my! <laughs> you did that. You went there. You went there. Good lord. <laughs> Now, this episode of Benchmark is brought to you by the good folk at Prosper. They're Australia's leading online lender to small business. And Prosper have simplified the process. You can apply online for their small business loan in minutes, without painful paperwork or without waiting in queues. So get approved and start growing your business. And 90% of customers receive their funds within 24 hours. Prosper. That's spelt P-R-O-S-P-A, Prosper. Business loans made easy. Check out www.prosper.com. Segment number two. That damn app. Oh, and don't we love this? I love don't this. Don't we love this? <laughs> so this, this is our segment where we talk about an experience that we've had with, a, with an app or a, or a, um, or a, you know, a genre of apps. And, and I'm, I'm going to leave this one off. I'm an avid Uber user. I, I when. I haven't um, had luck with that. I use GoCatch. And probably one of my only um, n- negatives about it is the, the lack of ability to book a taxi. Mm. So if I really have to book a cab to go somewhere, I will often use another service. And quite often that's the Silver Service Taxi app that we've got here. So I had an experience the other day where I booked the taxi to go into town and I decided to take advantage of their scan your credit card, have that all so because I love that about Uber as well. I love being able to just get out of the cab, don't have to sit there and do cash or whatever, just walk away, you know, that's fantastic. But going on the cab on the way over uh, into the city from from the north side, uh, I I suddenly realised that it had logged me out and I didn't have my my password on me at the time, right? So I can't log back in to be able to process the payment. And it, it got me thinking about... What happens when you have that that sort of failure of technology at the at the critical point of the transaction? So in the end, I luckily had cash on me. But say I decided to not go with my wallet, not go with cash, and I was stuck there. 
I, I would then have mm. had to, you know, get the cab driver to drive me somewhere to, to sort it out or, you know, it was no good. Now, now to their credit, the, the company, the silver service company, um, I tweeted about it, said, are you having problems with the app? And they, they came back to me within like under an hour. I mean, it was, it was minutes sure. that they came back. So the service was good, yeah. but it, it does, it leads you to kind of get worried about when they fail, they can fail terribly. And then who misses out then? Do I, do it, it inconveniences me? Yeah. What about the driver? Like, how does he be sure he's going to get his cash? You know, so I, interesting. It's interesting with customer service, isn't it? Like, there's so much with marketing automation now that can be done in terms of fill out this survey and you know and then they'll respond with thanking you and all that sort of stuff. But right. does actually anything ever get done through it? Right. You know, I've I've had a similar experience um, uh, where I live. The NBN has been installed. Yay! You know, so it's great. So I went through my telco and and got it installed. And virtually every point of contact I had with them, and that was several times a day for three or four days as we were getting it all set up, I would get an email, a text, and an IVR voicemail asking me how my experience was. And I had so many that I, I don't even know what I'm responding to now. It was kind of like, how was the experience at responding to the experience to the experience of our survey? And you're like, yeah, so, <laughs> too much. So, so it becomes, it actually works as a negative to the experience. It did. Whereas you like sometimes for somebody to say to you, hey, you know, we've just given you some customers, so what did you think of that? Sure. And you're like, yeah, good on you, that was great. Well, you know what, that was pathetic, and I, I you know, I don't want that to darken mm. my door again, thank you very much. But the idea that it, you get overloaded with it, it's, yes. it's a problem. Yeah. So, so here's a question. Are there, are there, um, can you do customer service inquiries about the customer service inquiries? Is there, <laughs> yeah. a, is there an app for that? Is Maybe there, a, there should be. Okay, okay, we will go away and we will find out whether there is, is customer service for customer service rating apps yes. or, or something. We'll go and have a look. Let's see whether there's something like that. Well, look, we, you know, we'd love to hear your, uh, your feedback on, on the stuff we've talked about. You know, how, how did you find wearable devices? And then what's your thought about you know, customer service and apps? Then uh, you know, get in touch. What's our hashtag? I don't think we have one. No, should we make one up? We will. Benchmark 103. Sounds great. Hashtag Benchmark 103. There we go. That's executive decision making. Let us know what you need to uh, know about or what you like, what you don't like, and uh, we'll get our customer service app out to you. There are some very kind people at Hero Infographics because they've helped this episode of Benchmark to be delivered for your auditory delight. Now, if you've got heaps of data but don't know how to communicate it, or you're having trouble delivering your corporate messages simply and effectively, well, Hero Infographics can make your data beautiful through gorgeous infographics for the web, social or print, or via animated videos. Tell your story quickly and beautifully thanks to Hero Infographics. And there is a great introductory offer of only $950 for an infographic. Now that's beautiful. www.heroinfographics.com.au So as we said at the top of the show, we launched our live benchmark mm. um, event recently and you had the, what I have to say, most distinct pleasure of uh, interviewing Alexandra Telios from, uh, from The Big Smoke. Uh, great, well, great interview, mate. Yeah, I... I, I, I on a panel with her oh, six months ago or so and uh, was just smitten with her straight away. She's just got that energy and, and a slightly different way of looking at the world, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. totally. And, uh, you know, the publishing industry is a tough one and she seems to be doing something a little bit different and 
a real care for quality journalism, which I think is being eradicated a bit uh, in this digital internet world, isn't it? You know. Yeah, absolutely. So I, 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 and she's an entrepreneur as well. She's doing it her own, and I just, I just love people like that that are, you know, got some good values and morals. So I was, I was really keen to have a chat with her. Yeah, it's fantastic. Do you want to, do you want to throw to some of that? Yeah, let's see how it went. Pleased that Alexandra joined us today. Your, your story is really interesting of, of how she's you know, set up a, a publishing platform called The Big Smoke, and you know, let's be honest, some of the, you know, the Herald and the Telegraph are getting so watered down these days with you know clickbait and the like. And uh, I, I, I received your, your email today, right? And I just looked at the uh, the eight topics that were on on discussion. I just thought they were all really interesting and varied. Discussion on the best Australian political insults, <laughs> which I'm definitely going to check out. A cheat sheet on the Safe Schools program. Global abolition of capital punishment. The CEO of Zero on how to manage your day effectively. An interview with a top Instagrammer, Tatigrammer. A review of the National Symposium on Teacher Induction. Looking at trust in Netflix and a cooking school and yummy feedback and a satirical cartoon. And I just thought it was a really interesting, varied, provocative thoughtful, clever articles, rather than all the crap you get in, the, in, in what we're served today in normal publishing. And I'm really interested to find out why you set up The Big Smoke and, and what you're trying to achieve with it. Well, I set up The Big Smoke because I personally didn't know what to read. And I was kind of tired of the news and there wasn't a lot of opinion sites. Um, I wasn't going to read Mamma Mia, it wasn't my thing. And um, so I wanted to sort of create a platform with people that were a bit more like-minded, a bit more like the sort of people I hung out with. It's all really about creating the same platform for all Australians, regardless of where you sit. And um, so we will have the Julian Burnsides right for us and the Albanese's, and then also some erudite young uni students. Um, so everyone gets the same respect. And it's fun, and it's interesting, and it's irreverent, and it's balanced, and we've got no political agenda. So because of that, we've got a very varied, interesting audience. So part of today is to talk about content. I mean, how do, how do you source your content? How do you do people approach you? People approach us. So we have yeah. about 350 writers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've never had a problem getting writers. And we get both high-profile writers and unknown writers. And we have an editorial team that really works with them and gets them to work together and, and make pieces of content really powerful. I'm really big on not having boring content. So I like we get rid of pieces if they're boring. Like I don't want to read the five ways to you know save money this Christmas. So. Those type of headlines are everywhere now, aren't they? They're yeah. just clickbait, so they mm. must be working. But I like clickbait, yeah. but it has to be smart clickbait. Mm. See, clickbait's really just about getting people to pay you attention. You have to get people to pay you attention, mm. or else you have no audience. So I'm all about clickbait, but it has to be clickbait that's not disappointing, and it's, um, it's a heading that actually delivers. So I want someone to read, that looks interesting, and then when they've read it, they go, that was great. Not, that had nothing to do with it, and I don't know now who Mariah Carey would be. So we've looked at how you source your content, but also trying to attract your audience is a huge mission in a very crowded marketplace. How do you go about that? So I actually had a bit of an interesting strategy at the beginning. We started to do a lot of radio at the very beginning. So I probably do about 25 to 30 shows a week across the country. That's 2GB, 2UE, ABC, all of them. And I discuss our content. Every week I'm able to secure those places because the content's good. 
and I can deliver it in a facetious, fun way that's a bit of banter. So that's really worked. And then Facebook's been a driver. The email list is one, but also direct. So when we were, we were chatting about you know, what to talk about today, one of the things you wanted to talk about was the shift for digital publishers to ensure an ROI, return on investment for advertisers. And that's, that's quite a noble quest for, you know, for a, a publisher and a hard one to deliver because advertisers are they're never happy. They're never happy. <laughs> so. And I don't want to send a report to my advertisers and say, you got 30% click-throughs and this happened. Like, that means nothing to me. I want to say to someone, we've shaped the narrative around your brand. Look at how you're viewed now. Look at how people engage with you more. Look at the data around this. So I'm really big on that. And for me to be able to deliver that and do it in a way that other publishers can't has been one of the most important missions for me. And it's really what I think about at night. I believe that Australians like to be sold to, whether it's being sold a story that's about politics or being sold about a, a brand that they're going to want to know about. We like to know what's going on, what we should be connected to. Well, that's actually going to jump to one of the last questions I was going to ask you, because you said how uh, you, know, um, you believe the audience want to see advertising. Yeah, people like to know what to, people want to know what their friends are buying, people want to know what their friends are seeing or what they're involved in. So when I study and look at programmatic, for example, and the way inventory is brought there, it's really often low, sort of really low rent advertising, and pe that's what people don't want. I think it's like something like 168 million users have ad blockers now. That's a huge chunk of revenue being lost in advertising. So therefore, the answer isn't, you know, we, we shouldn't do digital advertising. The answer is, well, how do we integrate into what they want to know about? And that's what we try to do. Talk, talk about your advertising models then. Like what, 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 if a brand comes to you, what do you go to a brand? or? Um, a bit of both, yeah. but basically I see it more as a partnership. So I don't sell ad space so much. I do a partnership, and what that means is we integrate native content into their campaigns. We we might include an image on the site, like a banner, but we don't really rely on that because we don't think that gets the ROI. But more importantly, we connect them with our writers. So what happens is most of our writers all have their own blogs, and all those blogs have their own audiences. So instead of going to The Guardian, for example, and going, I want two million eyeballs on this ad, we say, we can give you a million eyeballs this month from the big smoke, but then we'll give you another million from these 10 bloggers who all have little clusters of audiences that are exactly what you want. Um, the way a blogger's audience responds to them or an influencer's on Instagram, for example, audience responds to them is so much more valuable than how a flashy ad will appear on a site. So it, it, talking about engagement, is, is, is commenting a big thing for you and trying to get that dialogue going? Engagement for me is really important and sharing is really important. So we, we actually get really great shares. It, we get three times the engagement in that capacity that a lot of our competitors which is amazing. Um, so when we do, and that's a really important part of our native content model because we want to be able to go to a company and say, we'll talk about your product or we'll write a story about your product and it doesn't matter what we do, we want the audience to respond. And if we can get the audience to respond, it's valuable and it has a life cycle. It's always going to be on the internet for you. Um, so the engagement around those pieces are, are cru crucial for us because if we, we are producing quality content and the native that doesn't work, mm. we've got a real gap in our, in, mm. in our model and suddenly the audience will trust us less. A lot of your content is you know, stimulating, intellectually stimulating, and there is provocativeness to that. How, how do you marry that when a brand comes to you want to get involved, but, you know, the corporate affairs team, oh, well, we can't say that. We can't well, we had that recently with a big, really big company, mm -hmm. um, this, just this week. And in the end, we didn't do the deal, 
because of that. And I don't want to be working with companies where everything's PC. Not that we would be totally offensive, but like we want to talk the way our audience wants to consume information. They don't want to have everything sold to them in you know, a perfect bow. I mean, we, we are so beyond that as a country. And I think that people want to see things that are real and they'll, they'll be impacted more by brands if they feel that there is someone behind the brand. I'm keen to just delve a little bit into yourself as a business <coughs> owner. Uh, um, Tell us how long the business has been going and, and how you found that journey as an entrepreneur. And One of the things that's really important to me is I don't work because of, you know, I mean, I love money, but I don't work because I could have gotten a much better corporate job with my education, you know, than doing a startup. Money's always tight as a, when you're starting a business, and the publishing world is obviously, you know, margins are being reduced. Uh, you're independent. How, how, how do you stay innovative? have the luxury yeah. of knowing you've got a paycheck coming in next week, you are innovative and yeah. you find ways to make it work. Um, I think for me it's just been about discarding things quickly that don't work. Not holding on to ideas just because I came up with it and I thought it would be a good idea. Then, because you don't, because things have happened where you don't know if money's going to come in, you kind of come up with ideas that you would never have come up with had you not been in that pressure. I've been really <laughs> fortunate. I've had people staying with me for the last three years that I've had a really solid team and I've had a very loyal team. Very few people have left. And if they've left, it's because they've moved or because they've decided to totally quit media or something. Um, so there's a real sense of synergy and innovation in the company as it is. Um, so I've been very fortunate to align with the right people. So this event's called Benchmark and the kind of the theme is, you know, how do we benchmark ourselves? How do we deem what's successful on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, yearly basis? You know what. What, what, what's a good week or how, what's success to you? Well, I had a good week this week, but I didn't have any great deals happen. Did I actually you? had two deals fall through. Because you were coming here, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was because I heard. Um, <laughs> no, it's, I, but I had a brilliant week. The reason why is I had a productive week that set me up with a lot of interesting conversations and I had a lot of irons in the fire. And I think a good week for me means that I moved five steps forward, even if a few steps pull me back. It doesn't. I, I just think that that's a good week, and knowing that you produced good quality content, knowing that people were happy, knowing that people found what you did valuable. I worked with one of our clients, and they were really happy with what we produced, and that's a good week for me, even if you know other things go wrong. Yeah, and numbers are really important to me. Data is really important to me. I remember talking to a really big publisher in Australia, and she was saying, "Numbers don't matter. Don't worry about the data. Just focus on good content." But they're out of business now. So, um, so it's really nice about trying to find all the different. How many times a day do you look at your web analytics? Once. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd go crazy. Yeah. And I'd probably get angry at people. Unfairly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, only once. And then sometimes I go days without looking, just if I, like, just you can't do anything about it. All you can do is produce. Mm. So, what do you do in terms of setting targets? Or well, we have very clear KPIs. Everybody has a KPI. So, every from my editorial team, they've got X amount of content they have to produce, to know it's a quality article, it's had X amount of shares, so we really got, we really try to understand. The other thing is, in terms of leads, I have a very clear funnel of what, how much is going in, and how many we're going to get out of that, and, and I just keep everyone on, this is the thing though, I'm annoyingly on the ball about things, I'm annoyingly, I'll call you at 11 at night, mm -hmm. if something's wrong, and everyone in my team appreciates that, no one's called the union. That's been great. Um, but it's just everyone's got the same vision. We're all trying to create something. And because we're in the US, we have to work weird hours now. We're going into Berlin this year too. There's only so much time in the day that you can operate. How do you, how do you 
explain yourself or how do you scale? How do you no scale? partner, no kids. <laughs> no, really, that's no the sleep. answer. Yeah, yeah, very little sleep. No, I, I guess for me it's about the growth stage of the company, so because of that, that's my focus, yeah. Uh, what about competition here? You just mentioned Fairfax and Mamma Me you mentioned earlier. And Do you have a, a competitor here or are they all competitors? I think that we consider ourselves all competitors, but I don't really feel that they're competitors. Not because we're better than them or because we, I feel we are, but because we're doing something different, and whatever they do, we'll do differently. And so I don't really feel threatened by them mm -hmm. at all. It's kind of like, I watch what they do, but not closely. And then I just do what we feel we should do. And the difference is we've got, we don't have a room of journalists that we tell them what to write. We have a room of people telling us what Australia wants to hear. So it's really different. It's a, it's a fascinating story, really, and I really, really encourage you to, you know, subscribe to, to it, it's, it's, it's free, you know, so... Uh, yeah, we're never having a paywall. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, the publishing world is, you know, going through a period of change and transformation. What, what, what do you think the, the, the big boys are doing wrong? I think people don't talk to each other in companies. So you've got yeah. the sales team at like big company and talking, not talking to the native content people really, and then the native content people aren't talking to the journalists, and then, so there's a real disconnect. Um, at the Big Smoke, we're small, so we all talk to each other. We all, we all just produce together, and um, so there's that. That's a big difference. Um, what they're doing wrong, also, is I think they're really focused on buzzwords. Like they talk about programmatic buying, and that's a very interesting thing to look at. I love programmatic personally. I've actually just struck a deal with a company to do ad buying internationally for the Big Smoke, but in um, programmatic content, native content, which is a bit different. It's more interesting for me. Um, so I think that they get caught up in, ad, in really different ad formats and they're so desperate to get their revenue coming in that they're not thinking about how to innovate and how to change the world. And if you're not thinking about that, all you care about is the next few dollars. And then if you're only thinking about the next few dollars, you kind of can't, you, mm -hmm. then what? Um, one of the most disgusting things in the world to me is going onto a website and seeing you know, crappy ads around the site. I mean, it takes away from the user experience. And I think that that's a really big mistake because it's cheap money um, and it doesn't build a brand. So many clickbait ads now, aren't there? Yeah. yeah, and there's also things like Outbrain, for example, that yeah. produces ads, but then you get to a website that's a quality website, or meant to be a quality website, like the New York Times. Then at the bottom, there's six ads about, you know, you won't believe what's happened to her face, and it's not even, it's not even a person, like it's a dog. You know, so I don't know, I just, <laughs> I just think it's really unfortunate. So you're, you're online only, do you, do you, would you consider Going print or yeah, I video have or? I have thought about print. I will yeah. go into streaming. I, print is fun because it's niche, but mm -hmm. I'd only do like four copies a year, that kind of thing, like the best of or something. Mm -hmm. But just so that you know the writers can have something hard copy as well. I think it's kind of cool. Um, it's not going to be a really commercial thing for us. Yeah, but okay. streaming, yes, we've really got a great team of filmmakers and and really talented people that write for us. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to be able to tap into them sure. eventually. Yeah, your instinct must be getting more finely honed as to when you, you know, what works. Yeah, I'm getting better at yeah. knowing. At the beginning, I wasn't sure, and yeah. I did do a more of a scattered approach, a scattered approach yeah. into trying things. And plus, keep in mind, I didn't come from the media. So I didn't come from Bauer Media, and I wanted to do my own thing. I literally came from finishing my master's in business and working as a manager in the Department of Education, simply thinking something sounded really exciting. 
Um, because of that, I had to work things out and I had to study and I had to study every competitor. And I, when I talk about competitors, I don't mean study Fairfax and News Corp, but I mean watching how people did content overseas, watching why people, why is India producing amazing content that everyone's reading? Why? I wanted to know. So every day I try to educate myself and because of that, I have a better understanding about what brands need and what audiences consume. Have you put any safeguards in place um, with your editorial team to stop you influencing what gets printed in terms of political leanings, uh, personal opinion? So I personally am a political agnostic in mm -hmm. the sense that I have no agenda. So if you came to me with an article that said Malcolm Turnbull is amazing and I love him and then Malcolm Turnbull is terrible and I hate him, I would print both. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I, I want the audience to make up their decisions decision so that's not really a problem because I don't care mm -hmm. like I'm not um, the only time that I've stepped in is when things happen that I think could be a legal problem Alex I sense you could have done very very well in the corporate world what what was it that drove you to risk um, yeah homelessness <laughs> yeah. pretty much yeah. um, <laughs> for any person who's out there thinking about doing a startup it's it's, it's horrible it's, it's frightening so Terrifying. why did you choose this path I like fear more than people. And if I have to work in an organisation with people and I'm just creating wealth for someone else and I'm just building someone else's ideas and visions, I'm not happy. People don't understand how scary it is. They, they, they especially in Australia, we really have this whole idea of, you know, let's go to Fishburners and pitch our idea and we're going to make millions of dollars and it's just not like that. Um, I read the best analogy I ever heard was that some, someone said that entrepreneurship is like riding a lion. And everybody's like, wow, that guy's so brave. And the person's on the line going, how did I get here and how do I stop from being eaten? <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what it's like. Okay. Because you're, yeah, but, but I feel I'm meant to do this. So I wake up every day just as passionate as I was the first day we launched. And I don't know why. I, I don't know why. I just have happy. Alexander, I could listen to you for hours. I, I, I find it really stimulating and provocative and fun. And, uh, a lot of admiration that you're doing what you want to do and you're making a difference. So Thank should we all you. give her a round of applause? Thank you very much for coming. So, you know, unbelievable. She's just got such a lovely nature, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, one of the things that gets me is this whole notion of citizen reporting. Mm. I, it just straight away, it's, it's, I love this idea of capturing. I think their tagline is from QC to cabbie. Right. right. Which, so you're, you're basically, you don't have to be a qualified journalist. Your opinion counts. Yeah. And, but it, it, is, um, it, it, it is screened. You know, it, it, mm. is, it is edited. It, it's, it's, but, but getting the broad section of that, it came across very much in the, in the answers to your questions. And, and also uh, no agenda. There'll be left wing and right wing oh, oh, very both so. sides of the debate. So it's balanced. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, I, I love that. Uh, I, I love that idea that that you can tap into um, the 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 crowd, but that it's not. Um, it doesn't create an agenda of itself. It's just. It's sort of just individual bits of uh, snippets of information mashed up against people like Darren Hinch, who I nearly ran over in a taxi today, which was pretty funny. But you um, missed him. No, I'm sorry. I went Dad. back. I went back. <laughs> Good. I went to try that no, Darren, it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I. I uh, I was really fascinated about how she doesn't have the budget of a Fairfax or a news or someone like that and how she could be innovative and and you know the, the stuff she talked about how when you you don't have much cash you're actually more innovative and and when you're small you're more nimble so you can do things 
But that also means you are prone to mistakes. What I liked about her approach was that she wasn't scared to make mistakes, but she very quickly learnt when she was making a mistake and got rid of it. Right. So the emotion was out of it. Right. You know, she was she she she, she would just just finely tune, fine tune, fine tune. You know. Yeah. And it's very easy t- for us to when we start something to think it's good and then to try and make it better and better where because you because you came up with the idea yeah but in actual fact you're doing yourself a disservice if, yeah. it's, if it's shit get rid of it yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, this idea of taking your ego out of the equation that's right we would we do a lot of work with cloud computing companies and you know they always talk about the fact that th- that uh business model that technology model allows you to fail fast and fail fail cheap mm. is you know what they say and the idea that if you don't have ego hooked up in it you're able to just see that's not going to work and then put it down and move on to the next sure. step or tweak it yeah. and, and change direction slightly but but not not keep banging your head against the brick wall mm-hmm. just because that's what you said you were going to do you know yeah. I, I love that yeah and look I just felt the fact that there were so many questions afterwards yeah. that, that everybody in the room really felt an affinity to her and a curious curiosity about what she was doing and, and, and uh, I think she will have um Gained a few subscribers out of that, which is great. Absolutely, you know? and what yeah. a great way to start the event, yeah. right? Just terrific. Just well done. Congratulations. Well done. Well done, sir. Well, that's podcast number one in the bag. Well done. Well done, you. Excellent. That was uh, exhausting. Oh, such hard work, wasn't it? it well, yeah. yeah. I am tedious. I recognise that. I am <laughs> extremely tedious. It's so. just us going to work, sitting down and having a natter about what we do. We've set this up well. I know. I like this. Um, well, look, I hope you enjoyed it too. Um, uh, do let us know what you think. That hashtag again is Benchmark103. So uh, uh, let us know what, what you thought. I'd like to hear your thoughts on wearable devices and customer experience and, and the publishing industry. Three pretty big topics for Podcast One. What's happening next time, Andrew? Next time, we have Will Scully Power yes. from Vision Board, a virtual reality mm. VR, coming to talk to us about what's happening in that space, uh, You know how organisations can apply it to their business, this augmented virtual reality, and then mashing that up with marketing. It's, uh, it's a fascinating time. So Sure is. Will's a smart cookie, and the, uh, he's, I'm really looking forward to hearing what he's got to say. Yeah. So if you're out there and you uh, are going to be in Sydney and around Sydney, you want to come along and uh, join our live audience, which is, uh, is always a bit of fun, tweet into us on hashtag Benchmark103. Let us know if you want to be around, and we'll, uh, we'll see if we can make that happen. Fantastic. We'll see you at the next podcast. Excellent, mate. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Content marketing, cloud computing, social reality, creative competitive advantage, future of innovation. Benchmark. It's two blokes talking all things creative, technology, and business in Australia.